0: You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm Victor, and joining me is the wonderful William Gal. wait a minute. Actually, it's the notorious Neil Hughes. (laughs) Victor, how's it going? Where have you been? Uh,
1: I've been on sabbatical. No,
0: no, I've been working. I feel like we lost you there for a while. (laughs) I'm never too far, promise. Well, I I know that's a big reassurance to all of our listeners because we really miss you.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Now, I I really appreciate everybody who's always tweeting at me and and staying in touch and asking for my opinions on things and stuff. Uh, You can always reach out to me on Twitter and find me there, and I will respond at some point. Tell everyone your Twitter name. Uh, This is Neil,
0: N-E-I-L. Cool. Now, in the last time since we spoke, there have been all kinds of new things happening, including new devices. I know. So what are you getting?
1: I am getting uh, an iPhone XS because, as you know, I don't like jumbo phones, um, and I am getting a Apple Watch Series 4, 44 millimeter,
0: which is, is, for practical purposes, about the same size as the 42 millimeter, but you get a lot more screen area for the money, right?
1: Yeah, I, well, you can use the same bands at least, which is nice. Unfortunately, because Apple, so Apple used to do this thing where, because they were trying to be like high-end watch, you could just order with basically whatever band you wanted, and that was, you know, awesome. But they have since gone away from that, and you're limited to a very limited number of bands. So I was looking at uh, the Nike model this year, but the problem is the Nike model ships two weeks later and it wouldn't arrive until Friday, like October 6th or whatever it is. And I'm going to be out of town that weekend and I didn't know exactly where I was going to be because I was going to be in transit that day. So I couldn't pick a place and I couldn't sign for it. So I ended up just going with the – uh, that I think they call it the Sport Loop. It's the Velcro one, which I already own. It was like it was the choice was between two bands that I already own. It was either the regular Sport or the <laughs> the, the Loop, the Sport Loop band or whatever. And it was like, oh geez, because the, the reason I was going to get the Nike one is because it has the the Nike Loop band, but it's a uh, reflective at night when you run at night, and I run at night a lot. But I really don't need it that badly. And it was like it was one of those things. It was like, well, I could wait like three weeks plus to get this watch because God knows when we'll get delivered, or I could just get the one on day one. And I was like, I'll
0: just get the one on day one. Right. Which one? of these two bad options is more frustrating waiting around yeah. for something or getting what I already have.
1: Right. Exactly. So I figure I'm going to probably just sell this old watch to Apple because they were going to be like, because I have a series three, the quote unquote old watch. It's so ancient. Uh, I'm just going to give it to Apple because they, they give you like 250 bucks for it, which isn't bad. I figure I'll probably get the same if I were to list it on you know eBay or whatever. Was
0: that the cellular model or something? Yeah. It's a cellular what? model. Yeah. So
1: um so, yeah, I figure I'll just send them because I'm guessing that they require a band with it. So I'll just um, and what I was doing in years past was I was actually just going on Amazon and buying a cheap knockoff band and then sending that to whoever was <laughs> buying my
0: my uh, watch. Oh, you're uh, but
1: now it's like, well, I guess I already have this Velcro one, so I'll just get a new Velcro one and replace it.
0: And that's a good idea with Velcro anyway because over time – so Velcro is a hook and loop system and over time the loops in the soft side tear and and no longer stick well. So replacing the Velcro over time is good anyway. Yeah, exactly.
1: I, I just wish that they still had the option of uh, bands, like where you could choose and pick and choose and get new ones and stuff, um, because it was nice. It was like, oh, you know, I don't have this band. And then it was an opportunity every year to get a new band. It was almost an incentive to buy because it's like, well, if, if I'm going to pay $40 for the band anyhow, factor that into the price, right? Um, and then you get a new one to add to your collection.
0: Now, did this same kind of delay drive your iPhone XS versus XR decision?
1: <laughs> no. It- <laughs> This is going to sound sad, but the reason that I'm getting the XS more than anything, um, aside from the fact that I'm going to be doing the review for Apple Insider, is something happened with – I have an iPhone 10 and something happened where um, it – cracked underneath the leather case on the back. So you can't tell if the phone is cracked, but it really, really bothers me because I've never in my life, in 10 years of owning an iPhone, have never, ever cracked an iPhone, ever. The front, the back, none of it. Never cracked one. And then one day, and I have no idea when it cracked or how, but the corner up by the camera has like kind of a little tiny shatter and then that turned into a large crack that went all across the back case. And so this is one of those things that really ticked me off and it was like, how did this happen? I don't even remember dropping the phone. I don't know what, what happened. Um, And so I looked into getting the back replaced. It turns out that if you don't have Apple Care, the back of the phone is like 10 times more expensive than the front of the phone. It's like $500 to get this back glass replaced. So so it just bothers me. It doesn't change the functionality or the usability of the phone in any way. And then I looked to trade it in to Apple to see like, oh, you know, if I get the XS, how much will you pay me for it? If the back weren't cracked, um, they would give me like $550 for this phone or something like that. The fact that the back is cracked means they give me zero dollars. For this phone, and they're just like, yeah, you can recycle it, and it's like the phone still works fine. So basically, long story short, I came to the realization that I need to get Apple Care, and I need to get on the annual iPhone upgrade plan. It is now. I said I would hold off on Apple Care until I cracked a phone. I have cracked a phone. It is now time for me to get on the Apple Care plan. It is now time for me to get a phone that is not cracked, um, and I don't like giant phones. So the 10R was out. Uh, Six point one inches was just too much. Um, so I will stick with the size that I currently have, um, and I'm getting the 10S.
0: Yeah. So I have two theories. One is that the reason that it is so much more expensive to replace the back glass is the way they assemble these things. Uh-huh. You know, if if they put the frame and then they put the glass in from the the front of the frame and then pile in the logic board and the battery and all of the other bits, that means to replace it requires disassembling the whole entire phone. Right. Which is is nuts bonkers and too much of a cost and so that's why they say it's worthless. And I have another theory. I have another crazy theory. And this is, this is, people don't take my advice. Don't do this at home. But, you know, I I think about how when you have a cracked windshield on your car, if you catch it early, then you can fill it with a little bit of epoxy and they have a suction cup kind of thing to force the glue into the crack so that it it heals it and cures it nicely. And that prevents the crack from growing. But if you leave it, then you know you hit a bump and the crack splits the whole windshield, just like you know you hit a small bump and you never notice it with a letter case on, and you split the whole back of your phone. Yeah. So,
1: I yeah I'm I'm, I'm angry at myself that uh, the first phone that I managed to crack was the one that cost about thirteen hundred dollars. But uh, here we are. So well, let I me console it, it, you. You are not irresponsible. <laughs> The, 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 uh, the iPhone upgrade plan is one of those things too, where it's like, well, if you're going to get the phone every year, then having this automated system where you pay the same amount, um, and you trade in your old phone and you don't have to worry about that stuff. Um, and then you just continue extending the, the two year plan. It just kind of makes sense. If you're going to get Apple care, if you're not going to get Apple care, then it's not worth it. But that was why I just bought the phones outright in years past. Cause it was like, well, I'm not going to get Apple care. I've never cracked a phone. I don't need to. And now it's like, well, maybe I do need to get Apple care.
0: I, I have always purchased Apple care for the phones. And the reason is. For, for cracks like that, for weird things that happen to cameras, I've, I've had spots develop on the inside of the lens of the camera in years past. I've had – back when home buttons were physical home buttons I had and then they had the little square symbol on them, the rounded rectangle mm-hmm. symbol on them. I've had home buttons that had the bizarre failure where they started rotating and instead of looking like a square, it looked like a diamond. <laughs> and, and so all of these things, minor or not, although spots on the camera was kind of major since the camera is a major function of the phone – Having Apple Care meant that you didn't have to worry about it. You didn't have to blink about it. And that, you know, after uh, about a year and, and nine months, go and change the battery and have a fresh battery for the next year or so that you might use the phone if you're not upgrading right away.
1: Yeah, I would always try to get my battery replaced every year. And then I found they used to just go, okay, and they would look at the phone and go, yeah, we'll swap the battery. And then in recent years, they've gotten a little more difficult about it, which obviously led to the whole battery gate slash the debacle uh, now 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 we can <laughs> check the health of our battery or whatever so what happened was like it got increasingly comical. So a couple of years ago, I had like the iPhone 6 or the 6S. I don't remember which one it was, but it was one that had the random shutdown problem. And I brought it in and they were like, no, your battery healthy. And I said, no, it's not. It's definitely randomly shutting down. And uh, uh, and so they finally, you know, it all came out and then I went back in and then they replaced it. So then a year later, I had an SE and it was dropping from like it would get to like 50 or 40 percent and then drop to like 5 percent. And I was like, well, this is crazy. So I brought it into the store and they said, oh, no, your battery health is fine. Fine. We won't swap it out. And this was probably like a month before the iPhone X came out. And then they said, "What we can do is we can open it up and see if there's like some sort of issue with it or something like that." And and then if we replace the battery, you know, we'll charge you X amount of money or whatever. I said, "Okay." So apparently they went back and had the machine open it, but the machine messed up and it ripped one of the ribbon cables. So they uh-huh. ended up just giving me a uh, they ended up just giving me a refurbished phone for free. Uh, so it worked out, but it was like it was one of those things where it was, like I really shouldn't have to haggle this much when you guys have had a number of battery issues that are proven that are out there. Like I'm not making this up. Uh, and you know, I ended up getting an iPhone 10 like a month later anyhow, but, um, yeah, at this point it's like, I don't want to do all that haggling regarding batteries and, and arguing with them about stuff not working. It's just easier to get a new phone every year.
0: Yeah. And I have yet to go for the upgrade plan. I think about it, but it's, it's something that I'm not there on yet. I, I used to change my phone every year or every other year, and I somehow got into keeping the iPhone six for four years I mean these phones are great there's you don't need
1: to upgrade it every year right? you know it's it's just I'm just an insane person so
0: Well I'm right there with you in spirit but uh, iOS 12 <laughs> has really done right by me
1: Yeah I, it's a great update uh,
0: you know iOS 12 on iPhone 6 and 6s and 6 plus and 6s plus has has really proved itself I think that you know, one of, one of the anecdotes is that when people were at WWDC, they saw Apple engineers wandering around using iPhone six, and by having the engineers use the old hardware, they really tuned iOS twelve properly for it.
1: Yeah, I I I think it runs great. Um, I've been very happy with it. I I'm super excited about the Shortcuts app. I've been a long time um, workflow user. Uh, however, um, <laughs> it's one of those things where like. If, if it was, like, 15 years ago, I, I would be all about shortcuts and sitting down and learning it. I just don't have the time now. So I opened it up, and it was like, man, this is cool. Wow, this is really intimidating. Uh, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I can, like, make this work. Like, I've done, like, some custom Siri commands and stuff like that, which is cool. And a lot of the apps have integration. So now I can make it so that uh, the default weather comes from Carrot instead of uh, uh, Apple's weather app just by customizing the commands and stuff. But, like, you know, when I was a kid, I had uh, an old Windows PC. PC with like four megabytes of RAM running Windows 3.1, like a compact presario or something. And it would I would make a boot disk. And so I would bypass Windows and boot straight into DOS so I could play like Doom or Hexen or whatever and not use the RAM that was required to get into Windows and then get out because the system would just not get back the memory. So that kind of stuff was fun for me at a time when I was a kid, but now it's like uh, I just want it to work, you know. Like I just don't want to like mess around with it. So I I want to be more excited about uh, the the shortcuts app in terms of being passionate about learning to use it. Uh, but I think I'm more excited just in terms of hey, you build something and then I'll install it from like the gallery in the app.
0: Yeah, and I'm I'm concerned about that too. I feel like this is awesome for for people who are going to dig into it but the people who are going to dig into it are are maybe relatively small compared to the vast majority of iphone users the you know it's great that it makes the home pod more useful for example right but in in some ways it feels like kicking the can down the road here you program as opposed to we're going to help you make siri smarter
1: yeah i mean i'm a big time home kit user um i am a fan of using Siri for complex multi-step tasks to simplify them. So everything about it is right up my alley. I just – it was one of those things where like my wife uh, just started school and she was like, I just want to have a a one-day-a-week do not disturb. Like I don't want to have Monday through Friday or or, seven days a week or whatever. I want to just have every Monday when I'm in class, my iPad automatically goes into do not disturb. And I was like, hmm, I wonder if I can do this through uh, the Shortcuts app. And then I went in and spent about 15 minutes trying to figure it out. And then I spent another 10 minutes searching Google and Twitter to see if anybody had done it. And then I had no answers, and then I gave up. So you know, like, I couldn't figure it out. And if, and if I spent a half hour on it and couldn't figure it out, the average user probably won't be able to either. And maybe it's not possible. I don't know. But I, I want to I want to love it. I want to learn it. I want to embrace it. I just don't have the time.
0: It, it feels like one of those things like Automator. Automator on Mac is very cool. Automator on Mac is very nice. And no one uses it. Automator is even easier, though, because you can at least have it do, um, you know, with mouse presses and stuff like that. True. And and also they give you a wide catalog that you can choose from with the options already kind of there.
1: Yeah, yeah. You can you can be dumb and use Automator and get it to work. But um, if you're dumb like I am and, and try to use shortcuts, um, you know, these, it's a little more complicated. It would be nicer if they had something similar to Automator where it was like – you know, close the window and open a new app and then tap this and it'll learn that and go, oh, okay, we know how to get directly to that
0: function of that app. That that would be mind-blowing. That would probably be really good. Right. I, I don't know if it's possible, but. Well, it depends on how much they have in terms of OS hooks that they can identify what, what's being tapped on.
1: Yeah, and, and uh, you know, with a lot of these apps already have some level of Siri integration anyhow, the, the deeper um, dive into Siri that happened a few years ago. So, and, and this is the thing, like everything that Apple does lays the groundwork for what comes later. I was trying to explain to somebody the other day, they were saying, well, the AR on the iPhone, I don't really think it's that impressive. It's like, well, you have to think about what this is laying the groundwork for. Like Apple could literally launch a headset tomorrow and all of the groundwork that they've laid in iOS 12 means that they would have more AR apps on the on on their platform than anybody else. You look at all these other devices that are out there, you know, the the Magic Leap, which apparently is hugely disappointing, uh, Microsoft's HoloLens. These are such limited markets, but by leveraging a platform that millions upon millions upon millions of people are using and thousands upon thousands of developers are eager to use, they are creating the groundwork for... AR apps that are now going to be able to be on a future headset or whatever. So, it's the same thing with Siri and, and and Workflow and now Shortcuts. All that integration that they've done now builds on it. So, all the hooks that Siri has had into apps before can now automatically be just click a button and bam, now you're working with Shortcuts. So, they've laid a lot of the groundwork and they've done a nice job and I expect that really good things are going to come from Shortcuts. It's just going to have to be somebody else
0: building it. Yeah. Now, I wanted to to talk about a little bit. I mean, we we know that one of the big things that happens with the iPhone X and XS rather are the camera. Camera's kind of a huge deal, right? Yeah. So in the past, there have been people that shot movies on iPhone five and then shot movies on iPhone seven. And we actually had a a movie that was in theaters that was shot on iPhone seven.
1: And there have been a few, yeah. yeah. Um, the most recent one being the Soderbergh movie, Unseen.
0: Yeah. And it looks like director John Chu, who uh, directed Crazy Rich Asians, shot a short film entirely on iPhone XS Max. He had early access prior to the launch on Friday, and he shot this project in partnership with Wired called Somewhere. And it was uh, sort of a glimpse into the workout routine of a, a b-boy star named Luigi Rosado who rehearses his dance moves in solitude in a garage. And so they didn't use any special hardware or any post-processing software. They just started capturing this uh, th- these dance moves and you know, did it even, they didn't even use gimbals or dollies. They just kind of handheld the phone and used built-in stabilization. And it came out pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, I mean, this guy is is the new hot thing in Hollywood, right? And Crazy Rich Asians was on top of the box office for like five or six weeks or something. It's made a ton of money, so uh, good get for Apple. Um, very timely uh, and you know talented dude uh, who's
0: clearly showing off what you can do with a really cool camera in your pocket. You know, it it used to be that if you wanted to make a movie. There was this camp of people that would tell you you had to go to film school and do all the right things and learn how to raise money and rent equipment and all of that stuff, and there was this other camp of people that said basically go get whatever camera you possibly can, put your hands on it, and just start shooting something. Go ahead and yeah, write a script a and go for it. Right. Right. And you know that's how Kevin Smith kind of started. That's how there there are people who have. Made live-action versions of Toy Story, or there there was a guy who he and his friends, when they were kids, spent years recreating Indiana Jones. Oh yeah, Ra- you know, and Raiders of the Lost Ark. They they reshot Raiders of the Lost Ark, and they started out shot doing it on uh, on VHS. And there's and, a documentary about that, yeah, yeah,
1: called Raiders. Yeah, it's pretty good.
0: Right, and so the the ability to have a super good camera in a phone that's widely available should. Enable a lot more creativity, right? It should enable people to become filmmakers whenever they want to. And the tools get out of the way and it's, it's just down to your own talent, your own acting, your own writing, right?
1: I, I went and saw a really terrible movie in theaters last week called uh, – I think it was, it was either Ninja Zombie or Zombie Ninja. I don't know which order it was in. But it was actually shot in like 1992 in Chicago on 8mm. And uh, it was recently discovered by the American Film Genre Archive and they put it out on Blu-ray and they had like a big release in theaters and I went and saw it with like a packed house and it was about as terrible as you would expect. But what was funny about it was you could see that there were like some basic understanding of basic filmmaking chops and editing and like editing around the low budget and stuff. And so, yeah, t- to your point, like these guys clearly were not professional filmmakers and made a really cheesy, terrible movie, but they understood some of the basics of it and that, and you got to start somewhere.
0: It's said that the actual movie making happens in the edit room. Yeah. You know, obviously, sure, you have to have actors. Obviously, sure, you have to have a script of some kind. But the script can change wildly in edit.
1: Well, that's why if you have a director like Michael Bay, um, who, uh, you know, is known for his many cuts, (laughs) you just shoot a lot. And then if you have a director who's really, really bad at action, um, you'll be watching and it's cut too much because they don't know how to shoot a
0: fight and you don't know who's punching who. Yeah, I've seen that. It's really disorienting.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of a movie that I saw recently that, that had a really bad fight scene. The only one I can think of is uh, uh, the J- the uh, James Bond, uh, Daniel Craig, not Skyfall, but the one that came after it, uh, Quantum of Solace or whatever. Yeah. Oh, God. That was like whoever – I don't know who directed that movie, but the fight scenes were just so bad. Like you didn't know who was punching who or what was going on. It was like this is terrible. It was such a step down from
0: Skyfall. The first – Five minutes of of Quantum of Solace were incredible. Right, the the shots where they were filming in Mexico and the Day of the Dead. Yeah, yeah, no, that was cool. That was fantastic. That was an entirely different director than the director for the rest of the movie.
1: I have it backwards though. Quantum of Solace came
0: before Skyfall. Just... Okay, so do I have Skyfall was the
1: Roger Deakins one. He's he's the. Um cinematographer. He was also on uh, Blade Runner 2049. He does really gorgeous stuff. Uh, so Skyfall was kind of a return to form for them. But uh, I think Quantum of Solace was the one that came before it and it was terrible.
0: Did you like Blade Runner
1: 2049?
0: I did. Yeah. I, I watched it once and the first watch didn't do a lot for me. And I think what I need to do is go back and watch it again, because I'm sure there's a lot more there that I missed the first time.
1: It's a little slow. I'm a big fan of Blade Runner. Um, I thought the film was gorgeous. Uh, like I said, Roger Deakins does a really great job. Um, and I really liked the, the pacing. I liked a lot of the concepts of it. It took some of the stuff from the first movie and kind of built on it, but also turned some stuff on its ear, which I liked. It was its own thing. Um, I thought it was a really great
0: movie, yeah. It was. we it, were talking about the wrong film. I'm, I'm not talking about Quantum of Solace. I was talking about Spectre, the James Bond Spectre movie.
1: Spectre? Oh, that was the one after Skyfall, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even see that one. I heard it was terrible. The reviews were not
0: good. Well, so watch the first five minutes. Okay. Because the first five minutes were great. The The, the opening— Quantum of Solace was the one where they were, like, taking over the water supply or something. I don't I, know. We're I, going down the rabbit hole here. I, who, who can tell? But definitely, <laughs> definitely watch the the uh, the Day of the Dead scene that opens okay. Spectre because that was well done. The rest of the movie was kind of terrible, but that was great. Got it thinking about things that are that are related to Apple now tell me about your Apple watch you updated your series 3 Apple watch to watchOS 5.
1: yeah I've been running the beta for a few months now um, it's good uh, I'm you know it's not it's not a major update I've never used the walkie-talkie app yet. Um, because I didn't know anybody else that was on watchOS 5, so, I mean, I guess I'll try that at some point, Um, presumably when I'm reviewing the Series for this weekend, I'll give it a shot. I like that you can customize the um, uh, control center, where you swipe it from the bottom, and you can put the stuff that you want up top. Um, Yeah, I mean, other than that, I'm, I'm struggling to think of what is really new in this update, I you, guess there's support for shortcuts, which I haven't set up
0: yet. There's support for shortcuts. There's the uh, the breathe faces. There are the other complications kind of thing. And, and one of the things that, that they're supposed to be doing with watchOS 5 is the ability for apps to have complications appear on the watch face from those apps. So this is supposed to bring developers back to writing watch apps.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've I've been pretty set with my complications for a while, um, um, so I didn't I didn't change any of my complications when I got into WatchOS five. I am curious to try out the new complications with the larger watch face, though. Yeah, the the it seems a little busy for me. It's a little too colorful, a little too busy. I'm gonna have to mess around with it. I, I like them a little more simple.
0: I think one of the things they're trying to do is they they piled everything into that face and turned it all on so that you could see what the options were. And that was sort of what they showed us during the keynote, where all of a sudden they have contacts in the center of the watch face so that you can tap and directly communicate with your contacts that way. You know, it's not that these are tasteful decisions or necessarily the right thing to do for everyone. But by turning all of them on, you start people thinking about, okay, I've been wearing the watch. What should I change?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think complications are one of the best features of the watch, if not the best feature. So I'm super happy that they're embracing them in a big way. Uh, but for my personal use, uh, I will probably be toning it down a little on the Series Four.
0: Yeah, Pedometer Plus Plus is one of the applications that has really tried to take advantage of the things that WatchOS allows. So I would I would tell you as you're doing your Series Four uh, review, go ahead and install that application and see what it does with the watch faces. Cause I'm kind of curious to see how they've taken advantage of it.
1: Yeah. Cool. I'll have to check that out. I, my main ones that I use are, um, carrot weather, which is a really great watch app. Um, and then uh,
0: Nike plus run club. Well, yeah. Cause that's obviously the, the first party partner.
1: Well, it's, it's still a third party app. Um, cause it, it competes with Apple's own workouts app, but they have like guided runs and stuff like that, that I like if you're doing like, uh, Interval training and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, but I think of it as a tighter partnership just because they have the the Nike Plus version that ships with that app, basically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
1: It It, it is still. It still has the plague that that besets a lot of uh, third party apps on the watch, though, where it is not as reliable as Apple's apps. It's a little buggy. Um, and I think that, you know, there's a, Apple gets access to APIs that third party developers don't, and that's been hurting the Apple Watch since launch, and hopefully that continues to change. I know with WatchOS 5 now, um, apps can kind of store their own audio and stuff like that, so we don't have the problems that were previously coming up with Overwatch and all that, uh, the third party podcast app. Um, but, Yeah, they still like – last night, for example, I went for a run and I had to tap like four or five times on the start button. It's a giant button that takes up the entire screen, uh, but it just was not registering to start my run. So I wonder if there's a forthcoming update for the Nike Plus app before the Series 4 Nike Edition
0: launches in two weeks um, that, that solves those issues. I certainly hope so. Now one of the things that we we ran a story on this week was about the Apple Watch or a similar device being required for all John Hancock life insurance policies. And this this is something that uh, John Hancock's been sort of leaning towards for a while. You know, they they were running Facebook ads last year saying sign up for a policy and earn a free Apple Watch. Right? Where basically what they do is is based on your activity per month, they will give you the the credit towards the watch like they'll ship you a watch and then based on your activity you um you either owe them money or don't based on how much you do if you're inactive then obviously you need to pay for it but if you are using it interactive then they they go ahead and credit you that Mm-hmm. And and so currently they are pivoting towards this interactive life insurance where every policyholder with them is going to have to track their fitness, and you know you save up to fifteen percent in annual premium savings. You uh, you earn the Apple Watch for as little as twenty five dollars by being very very active, and they're throwing in other things along with that. You know shopping, entertainment rewards, and and uh, a subscription to Headspace, which is a meditation app that works really well, and. It's it's intriguing to me that they're they're pushing this so hard. I mean, it saves them money, so that's why they do it. it they're well, they're it, an insurance it, company it does, and <laughs> and obviously they don't I want to don't, pay out on a I claim. Mean, but
1: you know, you can. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of the Apple Watch and, and its health benefits. Um, less so a fan of giving tracking capabilities to companies that don't really need to know more information about us. Um, you know, no offense, no offense to insurance companies. They got to make money like everybody else does, just like Apple Insider does. Uh, but I you know it's it's one of those things where it's like do they really need to know all that information?
0: Yeah, but you know it's it certainly beats the traditional life insurance model of sending you to a doctor to get a physical kind of thing.
1: Sure. Yeah, totally. And and some people may be totally comfortable with that. I would not be inclined to uh unwillingly have that data just shared with an insurance company, you know, you think about what Apple's doing with the EKG reader on the watch series four. And I was talking with somebody about this the other day in terms of data privacy. What's interesting is it outputs that data as a PDF that you can then share with your doctor. Um, and presumably this is all stored you know, on device and secure and gives users that are registering that data, uh, the ability to choose who it's shared with and who it's not. You know, sharing a PDF is not something that you're going to accidentally do. Uh, But once it gets into the hand of your doctor or whoever else, then then it's kind of a free for all. (laughs) Then then if there's a data breach at uh, at your hospital, um, then then your EKG or whatever uh your health data might end up on the internet that that's where the the threat is with this stuff um having your your health information logged on your phone is not as big of a risk i don't think
0: well and this is something that apple's been sort of working on in the past too was the you know currently they have some 50 or 70 organizations that they synchronize health records with and so i have two local hospitals that i have records at that um you know, whose doctors I see from time to time and right. those appear in my Apple health application, which is super handy. It is really nice because, uh, you know, if you, if you go to another doctor for whatever reason and you need to be, you know, they, they ask, so are you generally healthy? You know, what do you, what was your last whatever rating like? And I was able to pull up and say, well, you know, on this date, it said that my blood pressure was this. Right. And, and that was convenient. That was kind of nice. Um, one of the things that i think we've we've heard some movement towards is apple's been talking about working with medical facilities on creating what an electronic health record should be. you know, epic's mm-hmm. been doing this kind of thing for years, but epic uses it as a tool for lock in. get as many institutions signed up on epic as possible and then keep those formats proprietary. where apple is is thinking about what privacy means that's not just obscurity by proprietary formats and what data sharing could be like. It's,
1: it's some more, it's, a, it's an area where the market needs somebody to take the initiative and Apple's focus on privacy and the fact that it doesn't profit from user data makes it the ideal candidate to do this. It has devices in everybody's pockets and on their wrists. It's already leading the charge and tracking health data and they don't want to collect your health data. They just want to help you get healthy and sell you a watch, obviously. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that app, if anybody's the candidate to do it, it's Apple, and I'm and I'm happy to see
0: that they are taking that initiative and that
1: it's important to them. They aren't and, the only ones
0: doing it, though. Microsoft, Google, and Amazon are working in a consortium to try and also fix medical records.
1: Yeah, no, they are, and uh, I don't know if I would trust Google with my health data. So or Amazon.
0: Yeah, you've always been a little leery of Amazon. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting. I guess I can understand that because they're very much in the business of selling stuff.
1: and knowing more about you.
0: Yeah, in order to sell you more stuff. Right. So what John Hancock's doing, because again, we ran a story about John Hancock, is their offer is you order an Apple Watch Series 3 with GPS by electronically signing at checkout a uh, a retail installment agreement with their group for the retail price of the watch. And then after an initial payment of $25 plus tax, they do out-of-pocket payments over the next two years, based on the number of workouts completed, and and so basically the the way to get the watch for the twenty five dollars plus tax is that you may agree to this two year program, and you work out like mad. You just get as fit as you've ever been. You you do all the workouts <laughs> you possibly can, and they they don't make the monthly installment out of pocket payments because you've done those workouts completed. But if you slip, if you fall, if you if you uh, if you backslide in your fitness program, then they just take the money. It's it's intriguing to me that they, um, as much as the watch changes from year to year, and, and there are improvements every year, that you're sticking with the watch for two years. That's probably normal for most users who aren't Neil Hughes. You know, What do you think about that if you are a, a gadget hobbyist like yourself?
1: Well, like I said, I, I – I... You'd never Think sign up for it. this
0: program anyway. No, it's not for <laughs> me. No, I, I don't. I don't
1: want to trust anybody with my sensitive data that I don't have to.
0: I, I completely understand that.
1: And that's one of the appeals of Apple is they don't want my data
0: and it's stored on Vice and, and they're happy to keep it that way. Absolutely. The right hire can make a huge impact on your business. And that's why it's so important to find the right person. But where do you find that individual? You, you could try posting on job boards, but can you be really sure the right person sees your job? Instead, find the person who will help grow your business with LinkedIn. As the world's largest professional network, people go to LinkedIn every day to grow professionally and discover job opportunities, and 70% of the U.S. workforce is already there. LinkedIn Jobs matches people to your role based on more of who they really are, their skills, their interests, and even how open they are to new opportunities. This way, your job gets seen by more of the right people. Most LinkedIn members haven't recently visited the top job boards, but 9 out of 10 members are open to new opportunities, so you can really only reach them on LinkedIn, and that's why a new hire is made every 10 seconds using LinkedIn, and businesses rate LinkedIn 40% higher than job boards at delivering quality candidates. Hurry to LinkedIn.com slash Apple Insider and get $50 off your first job post. That's LinkedIn.com slash Apple Insider to get $50 off your first job post. LinkedIn.com slash Apple Insider. Terms and conditions apply. So, Neil, do you do you damn it? What was I going to say, Neil? Yes. One of the things that we saw in the keynote that I know a lot of people were were excited about was the notion that you can use Google Maps and uh, and Ways in CarPlay.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a huge boost for CarPlay. Obviously, Apple Maps for uh, all of the hype that Apple tried when they launched a few years ago has just not been able to catch up to Google uh, in terms of data. Um, say what you will about you know the traffic data and all that kind of stuff, but the actual raw data of street-level businesses, all that kind of stuff, they, Apple just can't compete with Google on that front. And so... This is uh, a bit of a concession on Apple's part to allow uh, competing map services, both owned by Google, um, into its CarPlay platform, which it, which in the end boosts CarPlay and makes it a better platform. And I think that there was something of a handshake deal here, too, because around the same time this week, um, Apple also uh, added support for Android Auto to Apple Music. So I feel like there was probably a behind-the-scenes deal where Apple's like, we'd like to get on Android Auto. Google's like, we'd like to get on CarPlay. They both realized that it makes their platforms better, so they just said, okay, let's do it.
0: Interestingly, I I have Google Maps installed on my phone. I use it especially when I travel. And I plugged into CarPlay and tapped on an address in the Gmail application, and it opened Google Maps on CarPlay. The voice services are not using Siri. The voice services for Google Maps in CarPlay run through Google's own voice services, Mm -hmm. which was really interesting for me because it's it's very much basically like – Almost using the Android Auto version of the app.
1: Yeah, it's interesting.
0: It was it was really similar. Um, the only CarPlay-ish part about it that I could find was when you tap on the the settings gear icon in CarPlay on the the dashboard. It gives you very large icons for things like avoid highways, avoid tolls, kind of stuff like that. But it was it was in pretty much every respect, really user-friendly.
1: That's cool. I, I I don't use any of these platforms. I have a 12-year-old Prius that I only have because it's paid off and I live in Brooklyn and don't need a car, so. All good reasons. <laughs> yes. So I would, I, you know, it's one of those things where if I had a, a car, I'd probably, you know, a, a car where I could do the install and drove it every day, then I would probably do the custom, you know, get one of those Pioneer, put in CarPlay or whatever, but just it's not happening.
0: Well, I have uh, – so one of the people that works at Pioneer drives a 12-year-old Prius. And of course, because she works at Pioneer, they they were able to do the install pretty easily.
1: How do they do that? I mean you have the whole built-in GPS system that I think it runs on a DVD that's hidden under the driver's side seat.
0: I I saw her dashboard and it was the old Prius dashboard just like yours but they had managed to put the uh, the pioneer double din screen in it. Interesting. Yeah. It's it's uh, I'm sure it was probably a little more expensive than doing it on something like my uh my wife's Honda for example.
1: Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean there's a there's a whole giant screen there and all that and it's not small.
0: They were able to do it. Interesting. And, you know, I, I asked her about it at CES a year ago, and she said, yeah, she loves it, that, that having cool. CarPlay and, and having the Prius is a really good combination for her. I am still stuck on my petrol-powered vehicles, but. Um,
1: I'll tell you,
0: one of the, um, one of the things that I, that I love about
1: uh, uh, not having a headphone jack on the phone is using it in the car because I have a car adapter that uh, just takes a lightning in to a USB charging thing. And then it has a small 3.5 millimeter out on the cigarette adapter. And that's where it plugs in. So all I have is one lightning cable coming out of my center console in the Prius. And I plug in that one cable and I can do audio.
0: So it's doing the audio over lightning or is it using that, that well, headphone? Audio in- over lightning.
1: And then the cigarette adapter itself is converting from lightning to 3.5 millimeter.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: So there's a 3.5 millimeter out on the cigarette adapter.
0: Got it. Okay. Neat. That's, that's an interesting little charger that you got there.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's awesome. So just one cable, super simple, um, you know, for all the hue and cry about the headphone jack, it's like, this is way better.
0: Yeah. Well, so I've been using CarPlay for the past couple of years in, in both my wife and my car and using the lightning cable, obviously for audio and charging. And I'm getting ready to install the Pioneer wireless CarPlay unit. I've had right. I've had the Alpine wireless CarPlay unit back in January, and we're getting ready to do the uh, the Pioneer version of it, which is the second aftermarket unit available with wireless CarPlay. There's a lot to be said for it. Now, obviously, there's something really nice about charging when you're in the car because, well, you're already in the car, you're not going anywhere, you may as well charge, but having carplay start when you get close and turn the car on is brilliant because there are a couple of times you get in the car you're going on a short trip you forget to to plug take the phone out of the pocket plug it into the dash the whole thing it's just better you can get a wireless charger too you you could get a wireless charger too and be completely wireless but you know keeping the phone in the pocket and having carplay start is very good
1: it's still insane to me that this new iPhone you're going to spend you know fifteen hundred dollars or whatever on it if you get the large one ships with this <laughs> this this dinky little charger, one amp charger, and it, like it, it's insane to me because wireless charging now they made it more efficient on the new one. It's not actually a faster charger; they just made it so it's more efficient or whatever, so it it, it does it at a faster rate but it charges up to like 7.5 amps or watts or whatever I am I'm, I'm not an electrician but uh, that's so much faster than the built-in charger yes absolutely it is and you can get these wireless chargers for like five dollars on Amazon and it's like apple can't ship it with something that sh- that charges a little faster. I swear, if these new iPads that are expected to come out in October, if they don't ship with a fast charge 29 watt adapter for like an 800 plus dollar tablet, that's going to be one of the stupidest things.
0: You are going to go to war over this, aren't you?
1: It's it drives me nuts. Like it's it's such a Stupid thing to be cheap on. Like, someone was telling me the other day that, like, the difference between, like, you know, you have a sticker that peels off cleanly versus a sticker that, like, tears as soon as you try to take it off something. Like, when it's on a new product, like, you buy something cheap from China or whatever, and it's got, like, a sticker on it. Mm -hmm. Apparently, the difference in price between those is, like, one penny per, like, 8,000 sheets or something. It's, like, it's so just nickel and diming to the smallest of the cents. And it's it's so frustrating to see a company like Apple that will charge you an arm and a leg for their new phone, and people will happily pay it and they can't just make the charger a little bit more capable
0: so here's the other problem right which is that the fastest charging that they can do uses that usb-c connector and the usb-c connector is on all of their laptops yeah but it is not on all of the cigarette lighted adapters or cars or or other kinds of chargers you might have around
1: well, so the rumor that came out a few weeks ago was that the iPad itself was going to have a USB-C port on it. Ming-Chi Kuo said that. Yeah. I don't believe it. No. I think he's got it wrong. I think what happens is it ships with the USB-C to lightning cable in the box with a 29-watt adapter so
0: you can charge the thing at full speed. That's a lot more sensible than what he was proposing. I Yeah. The
1: switch to USB-C would make no sense to me because it's not like Apple has been pushing plugging in accessories into your iPad. If anything, they want everything to be wireless.
0: Yeah, or the failed smart connector. Yeah, I mean, it's... And I say failed only because there have been precious few accessories for it.
1: Yeah, I, I still use my smart connector dock to charge it, uh, and I like uh, my, my Apple smart keyboard. Um, but yeah, I've been very
0: disappointed. I think that uh, there should be a lot more uses for the smart connector, and I think, you know, Apple kind of blew it. Do you want to hear why I think they still ship the one-amp charger with the fantastically expensive iPhone?
1: <laughs> Let's hear it.
0: I think there are two reasons. Reason one, packaging size. The one amp charger is small. The one amp charger fits in the iPhone box nicely. Going to a larger charger means redesigning the packaging to accommodate that and giving up space in the box that they can otherwise keep small. Mm -hmm. You know, the worst thing in the world is to have to ship air because you're, you're paying for the size of the box and, and shipping an empty box stinks. Sure. the using the smaller adapter means that they can then use a shallower box. They they don't have to dedicate that space to a larger charger and the cable and still fit the earbuds in. Can you say larger charger again? Larger charger. <laughs> I didn't stumble over that at all.
1: Oh, I was I, like I
0: was pretty happy about that. So <laughs> the and, and there are some difficulties because obviously there are chargers around the world that are larger, like the UK charger, for example, which has the, the very large blades that come out of it, or the um, the EU charger that has wider spaced pins that go into the wall outlet. So they, they do have to accommodate different sized larger chargers for worldwide use. There you go again. Um, but they like the small cube because it does fit. There's another reason, this is my other speculation, which is that slow charging the phone is better long-term for its battery life. Now, I, I fully expect to get email telling me that I'm wrong, but here's what we know, and, and that is two things age a battery. One of them is leaving it charged in for extended periods of time, right? If you charge overnight, your battery is is potentially going to age faster than if you charge it up to about 70% and then stop charging it. And the reason is what happens is when you charge to 100%, it the, the the charge controller says okay, I'm full and stops charging, and then it bleeds down over a little bit of time because you know you get to ninety nine percent or ninety eight percent because it's still running this the radios, it's still receiving data, things like that, and then it says wait, I'm ninety nine percent, I can be charged again, and so it turns on, and so you just constantly cycle between ninety nine and 99 and hundred, turning it on and off, which is not healthy for the battery.
1: Yeah, I think it's like I think it's like the max capacity. It'll fluctuate between 100% of real capacity and 94% of real capacity, but <clears throat> it shows you 100% all the time. So if you could somehow get access to that raw data, you could take your phone off the charger at the right time and get another 6% out of your battery. But of course, Apple's not going to s- disclose that information right. because then it would drive people insane.
0: Right. And I actually have a, a charger made by a third party that has Bluetooth low energy in it and pairs with the phone and then uses that to monitor charge staff. And charge cycling so that it prevents that kind of thing. And it worked great, except that you have to keep their app frontmost in order for it to, to stay, keep the connection alive with the charger to do that.
1: You know what I was saying about b- being exhausted by the uh, 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 shortcuts? I'm already exhausted by you describing this. Yes. Just, I know. I just want I just want the but, phone to last all day. I don't care what magic has to go on behind the scenes to make it work.
0: I know. But remember the Huawei Nexus 6P and their battery debacle? Yeah. Okay. So the Huawei Nexus 6P used USB-C charging, fast charging. And, and that phone charges ridiculously fast. You know, you get a full charge in under two hours. But the batteries aged badly because of that. Right. So this is the trade-off. You can have your nice seven and a half watt, uh, seven and a half amp charging with your your uh, wireless chargers, but the added heat and added cycling and added fast charge has a negative impact on your battery. Yeah. Now, if you're changing phones every year because you're on the upgrade plan, don't care. Right. Fresh battery at the end of the year anyway, right? And it's cheap to
1: get the battery replaced now anyhow. So even if you could keep your phone another year, it's like, well, you might as well.
0: I, I don't think that cost is going to stay the same. I think the reduced cost for getting your battery changed was a one-time concession to deal with the battery debacle.
1: Yes, I agree.
0: And, and that that price is going back up to the $80 that it was previously. I think they
1: already announced that it's going up at the end of the year, so.
0: Yeah.
1: Let me see. I'm going to check the health on my iPhone 10 battery right now. Let's we'll see where we're at. Battery health. Maximum capacity is at 94%. So we, we're, it came out what? October of last year. So 11 months.
0: Okay. So, or no, it
1: was November. It was early November the phone came out. So less, less than that. L- less than 11 months and I've lost 6% of its capacity.
0: Over the summer, I had my iPhone 6. And at the beginning of the summer, it said 94% battery health. And when was the last time you had the battery replaced? In that phone two years ago and then – at the end of Apple Care, basically. When my Apple Care initially ran out on it, I, I went ahead and changed the battery at that time. Before. I don't
1: like my phone battery to get below like 50%. That gives me anxiety. So when I'm at work, my phone sits on a wireless charger all day.
0: See, that's not healthy for it. What you ought to do is, is run it down to about 20% and then charge it back up to about 70%. Well, I'm not a healthy person, Victor, uh, so – Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> you at least have an Apple watch. You close your rings. I don't even do that.
1: You know, I had a, uh, like a 45 day streak going on my move goal and, Uh, which probably some people are scoffing and saying, oh, I'm at 600 days or whatever. But it was good for me, so lay off me. (laughs) And I I went to a, a wedding in Calgary, and I walked all around downtown, and then I was dancing and all that. And somehow that day of all days was the day that broke my streak, and I didn't close the move goal. And I was like, really? really? Like what happened here? How did this happen? I feel like, you know, and then there are some days where I'm just sitting around on my fat butt all day doing nothing and probably just like waving my hand around while I'm on the phone or something like that. And then it registers (laughs) a bunch of activity. And I look down and it's like, and it's like my, my uh, move goal is like three quarters of the way closed. And it's like, Oh, like, and I've done nothing all day. So, I mean, obviously it's just a game. It's not like it's an actual representation of my health. And, uh, you know, it's, it it's limited based on, being on my wrist and not knowing what the rest of my body is doing. But at the same time, like it's hard to place too, too much stock in these rings when, when that's the way that they operate.
0: Yeah. Actigraphy, which is the the idea of charting and, and logging the movement is really imprecise. It is, of course. It but is.
1: It, it's, it's, but it's something it, it motivates. Like there are a number of times, especially when I had that awesome streak going where I was like, I'm going to go out for a walk just so I can close out this ring, you know, because, you know, it's, it's good to have that little thing that motivates you. If you gamify it, it motivates you. I think that's great. Yeah. Just don't place too much faith in it or think that, you know, these people who have, like, with the Fitbit craze where it was like 10,000 steps per
0: day and, like, oh, yeah, I've, I have to
1: that. Well, and 10, the 10,000 steps, like, steps is a made
0: up number. Do you know where 10,000 yeah. steps came from? Where's that? 10,000 steps came because in the 1960s in a serial in Japan, they placed a cheesy pedometer and in, in Japanese they called it the 10,000 step meter. That's where this comes from. And it's a completely fictional number, it just comes from the, the, Toy in the cereal box, basically.
1: You know, I, I've I've met people over the years where they say, "Oh, you know, I lost fifty pounds by." Parking my car at the back of the parking lot when I go to the grocery store, and then I just and and I just lost all this weight. And it's like, how little were you moving before? Really, like that, that walking from the back of the parking lot to the front is like what made you lose all that weight? Like, geez, man, you know, like I'm out running miles and stuff and all that, and it's like you know you just struggle to lose weight, and then some people, it's like, man, how how inactive were you? And I think for people like that, the watch is probably great, right? Like stand up, close your rings, do whatever. Um, you know, if, if that's a little motivation they need that they're moving
0: so little, yeah. um, then it's probably a huge, huge uh, gain for public health just for those folks alone. Absolutely. Of course, I, I represent that side of completely sedentary people. <laughs> I get all my fitness in in January at CES walking the show floor.
1: Your ancestors or your your future generations will be the folks in Wally and and in the chairs. Oh, precisely.
0: Actually, my kids are far more active than I am. Oh, that's good. They, they are competitive swimmers. They, you know, I just ended up b- finished building a bicycle for one of them. they, they, own, they you they're, need a Series uh, 4
1: watch, Victor. They, you got to get out there. Close I those rings. 10,000 steps. Do it.
0: I totally do. I'm Right now, I'm in search of replacing my iPhone 6. That's what I'm in search of because
1: Priorities.
0: it was – Well, it was 94% at the beginning of the summer and by the end of the summer, it was 70% and dying at 30% battery life. And it was just drop it, it was like it just one day dropped off a cliff. It was fine one day and sad the next.
1: I'm just waiting for the day that I can get some sort of a camera on my watch and I don't have to bring my phone with me. I'm just <clears throat> that's my that's my perfect watch. There, that's when I'll buy that's when I'll buy the stainless steel model.
0: But you remember that there were people that were building a camera into the band <coughs> that we saw at CES. Yeah, I don't know that it ever shipped. I don't know that it ever did. But it was it was certainly the, I run
1: and go to the gym without my uh, phone, Um, so I have my YMCA card on my watch uh, through the Wallet app, and then I'll go to the grocery store a lot of times after I get out of the gym, and Trader Joe's takes Apple Pay, and so I just don't have my phone on me, and I use uh, Anylist, uh, which has a great native watch app, and I use that to check off items on the grocery list. It's awesome. I love it. I would love to go an afternoon and evening without having my phone on me the one thing that i miss is it'll be like oh that's i'll be out running and like that's a nice sunset and want to take a photo of it or or look at this thing you know or whatever there's always like random things that you want to take photos of and send to people and i can't do it when i just have my watch and it's the one thing that
0: i miss can you add items to any list using siri
1: yes you can and I am hoping, I haven't looked yet, but I'm hoping that there's some series shortcut integration that'll make it even easier. I'm saying that, that could yeah, be very yeah. cool. One of the reasons that I, that I went with it is because it has a native watch app and it works really well. So, um, and you can share, you know, with, uh, other people and have a shared list and all that.
0: It's a, it's a great app. Yeah. Very happy with it. Awesome. So we've got two app recommendations for people this week. We've got pedometer plus plus, and we've got any list. Yes. And if you get a chance to try and use Siri shortcuts, please go ahead and message me on Twitter.
1: Yes, yeah, send me all of
0: your good shortcuts so that I can just install them and reap the benefits of your hard work. And you can go ahead and send that to Victor at AppleInsider.com. <laughs> and we'll make sure that Neil gets it because Neil needs all that hard work.
1: Yes, he I needs do.
0: all the help he can get. Well, this is the end of another perfectly good episode. We've we've been on here for about an hour or so. Maybe we need to go ahead and wrap this up. Cool. I'm I'm Victor. I'm at vmarks on Twitter, and uh, the notorious Neil Hughes is. This is Neil on Twitter. Yes. So what's what's the deal? Are we going to have you back again, Neil? What's going on? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we Would love to come back. Let me know when
1: when you want me. Well, there there is no conspiracy here. I'm not being punished.
0: We are keeping Neil down. <laughs> we are oppressing Neil. It's because you're so fit.
1: Yes. Yeah. Exactly.
0: All right. Well, we will be back next week with more Apple Insider. Go ahead and write positive reviews on iTunes and tell us what's going on with your new Apple Watch plans, your new iPhone plans. And we will be back with more next week.